Welcome to Madison Voices. Theater is a reflection of society and the times in which we live. We give voice to the artist's perspective on art, theater, family, and life. We want to take this time to celebrate the talent, passion, and stories of those who are part of the Madison Theater family. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Angelo Ferboni, Artistic Director of the Madison Theater at Malloy College. This week, we have two of the creators of a hilarious new play, Squirrel Screams and Other Dating Sounds. Please welcome playwright Lindsay Timminton and director Joe Ritchie. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi. Good. How are you doing? I'm great. I have to say, you know, I read this play and I loved it. Um, The title makes me laugh. Just the title makes me laugh. Uh, you know, you know. I think you hit the nail on the head with that title. Now, how did you both come to, you know, together? You guys come from different parts. I mean, I think Joe, you're a true blue New Yorker, and Lindsay, you're from Minnesota, if I'm not correct, right? Indeed. So, how did you guys? How did you guys meet up? Well, I saw um, Lindsay was performing in a short play festival out in Brooklyn, and I found out she wrote the piece, and I thought. First of all, it was hysterical, and I thought she was such a great actress, and I was directing a play called um, Soldiers and Other Living Things, Mm -hmm. and one of the roles she was really right for, and so I got in touch with her to see if she would be interested, and she was out of town and couldn't audition, so she actually auditioned via video. She sent me a video of the sides, and she booked it based on that video and what I knew of her. That's crazy. That's how we started our our relationship. Yeah, so it's always fascinating to me because you always find out like playwrights, like you, Lindsay, are also actors, or also you know. Tell me a little bit about your background. You started in drama school, right, or in theater arts? I, I did. I I went off to college with the intent to be a theater major, and immediately head to Broadway, and that's not really <laughs> how it turned out. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I was a performer predominantly. I I did my undergrad and got a degree in theater and writing, but really focused on the acting and then got my MFA in playwriting and performance. And again, still just focused on the performance part. In Hawaii. In Hawaii. Hawaii. I did. How could you even focus? I mean, I would have been on the beach all the time. (laughs) That's so funny because people say to me, you know, oh, that must have been amazing. But I was in grad school. So I went to the beach about four times in three years because I was always (laughs) at the theater. (laughs) So it was really kind of a stupid choice in terms of lifestyle, but (laughs) it, it got me what I needed. So I came to New York and pursued acting, but not long after I met Joe, I developed some pretty terrible stage fright. So I shelved acting and focused on playwriting. And that that's kind of been my heart ever since, is I'm definitely, definitely more into the playwriting. No, you went you went back. Did you go back to Minnesota? Because I see that you, you had some shows that you had written, um, the, the Virgin Diaries and the Dressing Room that were in the Minnesota Fringe Festival. Yeah, that was that was right after undergrad. Um, I was living in Minneapolis and and writing and devising and doing kind of the the fringe of the fringe of the Minnesota Fringe Festival, like <laughs> performing in um, vintage vintage clothing stores and doing site specific kind of. The first site's wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Vintage clothing stores. I got to hear this. So uh, t- tell me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I I was devising a piece with a, a close friend and we were writing a script called The Dressing Room and it was all about um, kind of body image and women and their relationships. And the Fringe had accepted our piece, but then they ran out of venues. So they <laughs> decided to launch this part this new part of the fringe called BYOV or bring your own venue. And they said, we'll still produce your show, but you have to go find a place to do it. And so I walked up and down uptown, Minneapolis, Minnesota, knocking on doors, looking for people who'd let me perform. And this one amazing woman, Kelly at Via's Vintage Wear in Minneapolis, I, I pitched the idea to her and she had just opened the store. And I said, you know, you might get customers and, and you know, tried to sell it as best I could, but she said yes before I could even finish my sentence. So we performed an entire festival in two tiny little dressing rooms. People sat on the floor, people kind of perched on clothes racks. <laughs> uh, how long was the play? Was it like a 90 minute play or was it short? Maybe an hour. It was short. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was 60 minutes maybe, but it was, it was wild. So I, I, I think so much creativity comes out of theater like that, though. I mean, when you're limited in what, you know, uh, you're limited in the space that you can use, limited on the budgets, lighting. I, I, I find uh, much more creativity when you, you have little to go from, you know, you become very creative. Absolutely. We had no choice. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting, too. You know, they talk about um, writers who were writing for TV 30 years ago, 40 years ago. A lot of the the craft and the comedy came out of the fact that they couldn't use certain words. You couldn't say pregnant, so they had to find creative ways around all of those different limitations, and it 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 made some of the best TV, some of the best writing. Yeah, I, I agree. And and you write for TV. You just did. You just had something on the Hallmark Channel. Yeah, in the, in the in key, the key of, of love. love. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so it's my first uh, Hallmark movie. Um, it's full length, two hours. Um, it was just it was just an amazing experience and you know you talk about having to write around a certain set of rules. Yeah. When I first when I first submitted the pitch, you have to it's a, it's a crazy process where you have to write a 6 to 9 sentence pitch of your movie. And that's all that's all you get to get in the door. And then from there you go to um a three to five page narrative, then a 10 to 15 page narrative. And once all those get greenlit along those ways, then you get to write the actual teleplay. But two of the characters, one of them, he was afraid of water. I had made it because it was, it was took place on an Island and they were a former Nashville singing duo. And he has to come to this Island for his sister's wedding. So I thought, Oh, there's going to be some comedy. And if he's afraid of water, this will be great. And so I wrote two things in the treatment. One that, as they, as he was on the boat, he was clinging to the railing, sweaty and nervous. And as soon as it docks, he runs for sure. And then another part where they're talking about whether they still sing or not, she was being, you know, kind of a little bit, a little wise saying, oh, yeah, I have this gig every morning at 7 a.m. in this club called My Shower. It's really intimate, but I get all the free shampoo I want. So I put these in the treatment. And I get a note back from our creative producer going, yeah, a couple things. One, Hallmark men don't sweat. I'm like, okay, good to know. <laughs> and she can't say she was in the shower. Because the rule at Hallmark is you have to be, you have to be able to watch it with your 8-year-old and your 88-year-old. 
So your grandmother and your small child. So then my mantra became Hallmark, where the men don't sweat and the women don't shower. <laughs> well, that's, that's just so crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, you have to write around things like that. You know, there's a definite set of rules, but they're, they're, they were so great. It was so great to work on it. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing people. Just and the, the, Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, congratulations on that. And it just started airing this week, right? Or last week? Aired it originally on the pay channel. And then it just aired this past week on the regular Hallmark channel. Which was March what? March 20th? March 22nd, uh, I think? 21st? Yeah. 21st. But well, it, it, it'll, it's on again. It's coming up again. It'll be on a few more times. Yeah. What I find fascinating is you, you both are actors. Joe, you've done, you've done Broadway. You're in a, a view, view from a bridge. You also were on tour with Carousel and uh, as Jagger's Saturday Night Fever. Uh, do you dance too? Are you a dancer? I, I I actually got my equity card in a show where Kathleen Marshall was a dance captain, mm-hmm. and Rob Ashford was the other dancer in the show with me. <laughs> so I didn't quite I didn't quite take dance to the career that they did, <laughs> but um, yeah yeah I dance. I played Monty Monty Rock the Third in the Saturday Night Fever tour. That's, so that's... I had an amazing wig, these amazing costumes. It was it was a blast. Yeah, it's amazing how artists find their ways. We have two directors here because you direct also, Lindsay. You directed at the renowned Children's Theater in Minneapolis, which is pretty impressive. Well, I assistant directed. Peter oh. Peter Brocious would probably correct me pretty quickly. I was assistant director. <laughs> yeah, but still. Or, yeah, no, it was amazing. Which which was cool because that was. That was my very first theatrical experience was going to the children's theater as a like a three-year-old. So it was cool to make that full circle. Yeah, it is. So what, what show did you work on at the children's theater? Um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, a classic. A classic. A classic. A fun. A lot of, <laughs> learned a ton from him. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I, learned, I learned from everyone. I mean, I, I love watching everything that I see. I learned from the best. Or I, I say I steal from the best and learn from the rest. Is that what you say? Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about moving forward into. Oh, wait, I want to talk about something, Joe. Yes, sir. You did nine and a half years. You were in and out of I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change for nine and a half years. You're in and out. You, you weren't in it consistently. I mean, you got to have some crazy story. That was such a fun show. But there's got to be some stories. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, when I went into the show, so I was brought in um, like a year and a half into the show to be a vacation cover. So I went on as uh, man one. So it's man one, man two, woman one, woman two. So I went on as man, learned man one, performed it for a week. And the day after I did that week, I get a call from the general manager who goes, how did it go? I went, oh. It was, it was good. It went well. It went great. She goes, great. Do you think you could go on as man two tonight? <laughs> having never, having never rehearsed it. I mean, I learned, kind of learned the music and I thought about it. I went, yeah. So she goes, great. It's in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> they have no, this is, and now this is like one thirty in the afternoon. She says, we're going to send you the new script because it's got changes. There's no turntable in, in New York. So think about any blocking changes that you want to go over. I mean, in Boston. Go, 
in Boston. In New York, we had a um, turntable. Turntable, and and in Boston, they didn't. They said, "Go by the theater, pick up your costumes because we don't have anything that fits you." <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so I get in the car, hit traffic. I call them back. I said, "I'm not going to make this flight." They're like, "All right, we're going to bump it an hour." So then I finally get to the airport. I get on the plane. The plane taxis out, stops, oh. sit for another half hour, pulls back in. And we get off the plane and I had to get on another plane. I landed at 7.30 for an eight o'clock show. <laughs> half hour. Yeah. Half, thank you. Thank you. Half hour. So I get there and the audience, I get there. It's eight o'clock for an eight o'clock show. The audience is in the lobby, just kind of wondering what's happening. They're not telling them much of anything. I come to find out that all three men, the two men and the understudy were all out. They brought another guy in from the tour. They brought me in from New York. And what ended up happening was there's one scene. Well, two really funny things happened. One, I started this monologue that I learned on the plane that doesn't exist in New York. And I'm in this scene and I start talking and the woman I'm playing opposite gives me this kind of quizzical look and then just sort of settles into herself. I finish the monologue. She looks at me and goes, she gives me this, okay. I'm like, I give her an okay look. We get up stage and go, what was that? I said, what? That monologue. I show her. They had cut it. They had never performed <laughs> this monologue. And in the middle of the show, I launch into this, like, it's like a half a page that I had to memorize on the plane. <laughs> so then the other thing that happened was there's another scene where you get off of a couch. The couch rotates off on the turntable. You walk against the turntable as you take off a couple layers of clothes. And then this other set piece, oh no, the couch comes on and then you get on the couch. You're at a table, table goes off, couch comes on. So I get up from the table. I start walking against the turntable, but there's no turntable. So then I stop and I turn around and go back the other way. And I'm like, no, but this is not how I'm not supposed to go off this side. So then I turn around, I go back the other direction and I'm like, but where's the couch? And I'm making a circle in the dark on stage. And the stage manager who's got infrared gets on the headset with the, with the, with the crew and goes, uh, Joe is spinning center stage. Can somebody please go get him? And like four people come out of the wings. They grab me and they're supposed to go. Oh my God. Yeah, it was great. Um, one, one more, I love you. Your perfect story, because the great thing about that gig was you would call it half hour. And if they didn't need you, you were done. You could do whatever you wanted. So I have been doing the show a long time. And Trisha, my wife, we were dating at the time. And I'm like, I'm off. Let's go to dinner. Great. So I had a martini, glass oh, of wine, wow. having wow. dinner. We're in the cab going home. It's now like it's nine o'clock. I get a call from them. Joe, you need to do the second act. I'm like, what? One of the guys blew out his knees. We're in intermission right now. Get to the theater. So I had to like immediate, I kicked her out of the cab. I'm like, babe, get out. She gets out of the cab. <laughs> and I go, get out. And we go right to the theater. And I just, I walked on, put on a costume, went right on stage. Yeah. It was, it was an amazing show. It's one of the, it's funny with Squirrel Screams. I, I often talk about that show because it's one of the perfect vignette musicals. Mm -hmm. They really did it right. They yeah. really understood what that um that genre was and they 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 did a great job on that oh absolutely and actually i love that get out line because it's one of the lines in squirrel scream and one of the <laughs> get out you know let's talk a little bit about squirrel screams i mean how did you guys come up with 
that title, I mean, Squirrel Screams and Other Dating Sounds. I mean, it's such a funny title. You know, Lindsay? T- titles are always really tricky for me, and I, I end up changing them a lot. And this is the only one that I had the title before I started writing the play. And it was, it's, it's really all based off of a, a date. <laughs> so this is autobiog- autobiographical? more true parts to that play than there are <laughs> fictional parts unfortunately <laughs> or fortunately for the creative process um but I, I i went on a date with a guy and um halfway through the date he just he started making these very strange noises and he was doing it to get the bartender's attention and i just kept looking at him like <laughs> I like, is there something medically wrong with him or there's clearly something mentally wrong with him, but I couldn't figure it out. And when I, when I said this, this play was initially just a little, it was a one act as part of a new play festival. And, um, it, it really all centered around her first interaction with this guy and how crazy it was that he was, he was making these sounds. And then it, just grew out of that but kind of the irony is is that part of the play is much smaller than it was at the beginning i mean the the one act was really centered around that piece of of the play i first heard that title the first thing i thought of is squirrels because squirrels are always chattering you know when they have danger here you hear those screechy sounds and when the dog walks outside you know they all have these different sounds and i'm like you know, when they're chasing each other in the trees. And I thought, oh my God, this is so perfect. What a perfect title for this. <laughs> because they're so expressive with their sounds. But so let's, I mean, these characters, I mean, there's some guys in there. I think when you read or you see this play, everybody knows guys like this. I mean, it, and it's just hilarious. Bridgie is one of the characters and Kate is the other woman, correct? Yes. I, yeah. And uh, they both are completely... Uh, polar opposites, yes, uh, as I see them, and the reaction to these these honest men. <laughs> I mean, I mean these. Sto- I mean, just crazy men, but honest. Are I don't want to give too much away, but it's they're so different and so hilarious that it's just talk a little bit about how you came up with the women characters, let alone these men. I mean, men characters. I'm sure you've met people like this because I all, I know I could name. Oh yeah, that's Mike. Oh my God, that's yeah, that's that's Joey over there. You know, you you know these people. So, women characters are a little autobiographical too. Um, when when I sat down to write, I was initially writing with a friend uh, because we were commiserating one evening over drinks about dating in New York City, and I said this that we should write a play. We should just you know go out on dates as research and and then start writing these you know, this, this play based off all of these experiences. And, um, she kind of fell by the wayside and I continued, but, uh, I, I mean, I guess I could say that I'm, if, if you ask, are you more Bridgie or Kate, I would definitely be more Bridgie and she would have definitely been more Kate. So they were, they were modeled off of our friendship and then just kind of exaggerated in, um, I, I hope what is an honest way, but it felt like I was able to take kind of keystone parts of both of our personalities and then and then think, man, 
if I could get away with saying this, what would I say to a guy? Absolutely. So, um, that's where they came from. They're, they're definitely based off of uh, a real relationship. Absolutely. I was actually thinking about women are going to see this and say, oh, I'm going to say that next time. Or oh, why didn't I think of that? You know what I mean? Because it's just, it's so fun. Uh, Joe, I mean, when you when you saw this, did you read this play or you saw the, the I saw, I, well, I saw, I didn't, the, I saw the short play version. Right. So by then, Lindsay and I had already become friends and um, there's another play of hers, Torn Sweater, that we were collaborating on. Uh, she wrote and I direct and kind of dramaturgically help and, um, and she says, oh, I'm doing this little piece, you know, it's just, you know, if you want to come, it's fine, whatever. It's just a little thing. I just wrote it. It's just, you know, it's just a little thing. It's not, you know, she completely was over qualifying what this piece was that I was about to see. And I saw it and I loved it. And I, I, I said to her, this needs to be full length. Mm-hmm. And so then we decided to start working on that. So she would, she goes, well, I have other material. So, you know, and we started, she started sharing material with me and we would get together on a regular basis and read through stuff. Um, we would talk about who these different men were. Cause there's, although there's 10 different men in the play, there's probably about 16, 17 mm-hmm. men that, were either in or out, mm-hmm. you know, based uh, during if different ver- variations Versions. of the piece, right. you know? Um, so, yeah. So then when this, when we, we would also then bring in actors who are friends of ours to, you know, let's do a little table read, hear what this sounds like. And um, that's where we learned a lot because when you get to collaborate and get actors saying the words, you get to hear it in a different way. It's not just in your head. It's not just our voices. So that ended up helping a lot. And it also allowed us to discover some really amazing talent. You know, when we'd swap people in and out and somebody would be unavailable, we'd get somebody new. And then all of a sudden we had this core cast of four that they're brilliant. This is the cast, you know? Right. Well, talk about the cast a little bit. Who are they? And, and, um, so, uh, Josephine Rose Roberts plays Kate. She mm-hmm. is adorable. You, she <laughs> walks on stage and you want to take care of her. Yeah. You know, it's just, you have this immediate, um, pathos for her. It's not sad. It's like, I love this person. I want to, A, I want to hang out with her. Mm-hmm. And then B, I want to take care of her, <laughs> which is perfect for Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, Bridgie, we we went through a few different people with Bridgie, and then uh, we met Caitlin Black, who was recommended to me. She was doing hashtag date me at the West Side Theater where I did I Love You're Perfect. Mm-hmm. And someone said she'd be really great. She was on Heart of Dixie on um, CW. WB, CW. Yep. And so when you see her on that, you're like, oh no, she's 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 not a Bridgie. Right. And then I saw in this, I'm like, oh yeah, she's perfect. <laughs> so it was one of those things where it's amazing. People who are so talented are often so humble. So I, I contacted her and I said, I would love to send you the script. If it's something you like, I would love for you to come in. We'll do a little reading and, and with the group and see how it feels. So she was like, she goes, I love it. I'm in. Do I need to audition? What do I need to do? How can I be a part of this? So um, 
so she was so she's playing Bridgie. The two men, John Rochette, who um, was up until just the hiatus that we're all currently living through, was playing the lead in Jersey Boys off Broadway. He did that show. Broad, he was on Broadway uh, covering the role, and then it moved to off-Broadway, and, and they gave him the role. And Ryan Watkinson, who um, has done some Broadway and TV and film and stuff, was another recommendation that I didn't know. We brought him in. I was like, oh, my God, you're perfect. Mm-hmm. So don't, those change. Are, yeah, don't, don't change. Don't change. <laughs> What's interesting is you have 10 guys in this, but those two guys play five different characters each. Five right. different guys each. Yeah. All very, very different. Right, which is which is great. And one thing I love about actors, and and as a director myself or a producer, you guys are both directors, actors, producers, <clears throat> writers. I'm not really a writer. I try, but I'm not really a writer. Please, uh, the actors bring so much to a work because you discover things about your work as an actor. Um, starts playing with it and starts making it their own, or brings a different character to. Uh, the part that you you wrote. One of my hardest things as a director was well, I had something so in mind for a specific person, for a specific role, and this wonderful actress um, came in, and she was completely different than I wanted. And and at first I I gave her some notes, and I I didn't want to tell her what to do or how to play it, and 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 about two weeks into it, I kind of sat back and said. This is hilarious. This is fun. This is completely different than how I envisioned it. Yet, it's brilliant. And I had to let go of my vision to see this this woman take this role someplace I never expected it to go. How how do you guys feel about this show and all these different characters, these different actors coming in? Were there things that these actors brought in that you went, well, that's not what I saw, but it's great. Yeah, they were crucial. They, I mean, everybody who came through, I think, was crucial to the development of this piece. And like Joe said earlier, being in the room and and hearing other people say your words, it it really does. Um, it, it's totally different than what you hear in your head, and it's totally different than how Joe and I sounded when we would sit across the table and um, and work through the script. So they they are they were absolutely fundamental in in developing this piece and helping us helping me hear things in a new way and you know they're, they're brilliant so they they came to the table with a lot of of stuff and really helped make the piece what it is for sure specifically these these the final four who did the equity reading they they brought so much to this piece Absolutely. And the other thing, too, and this is a huge testament to Lindsay, because originally when she wrote this, she and a friend of hers played the roles. So this was her role. She played Bridgie. And one of those things is when you personalize a role like that, it makes it that much harder for most people to then say, oh, but that's not who this person is Mm -hmm. because I know this person. And Lindsay did not do that which is is a huge it's it's a very difficult thing especially you know there are a lot of playwrights out there who are precious and that can't you can't be you can't be precious about it because if you're precious you're going to lose those moments angelo that you were just speaking about mm-hmm. you know that you're not going to see it because you're going to be holding on to that one thing 
and it's going to prevent you from seeing 20 other things that are gifts that are being given you during Mm -hmm. the process. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it was, it's an amazing, I mean, Lindsay is, is really amazing at what she does. And, um, I'm so, I'm, I was so amazed with her ability to kind of roll with whatever was being thrown her way, whether it was me saying, Hey, can we replace this guy? Cause it's not flying. <laughs> it's just not working, you know? And we tried to make it work and we tried to fix it. It's like, Nope, it's just, this is not, this is not the guy for this, mm-hmm. for this piece. Right. And she would go and she would rewrite a whole new guy. Or in one case, we went back to one of the original guys mm-hmm. and rewrote him to the point where, Oh, now it works. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, it's, you have to be open to that process mm-hmm. and, you know, like you were saying at one point earlier, you know, you want to work with people who are smarter than you. Right. And that doesn't mean in everything. It means in certain things. There are certain things that Lindsay brings to the table that mm-hmm. is much smarter than what I bring to the table. And right. vice versa. And you have to listen to those people. Yeah. Well, what people, our listeners may understand or may not is that theater is definitely a collaborative sport that I call it. If you have a great collaborative team, it soars and you're able to create great, great stuff because you feed off of each other and you just, you, you know, you just meld together and there's no egos involved. It's just about the work and it's about the process and getting the best, best product up, you know, which I think you guys have done a fantastic job on. You know, let's talk a little bit about development. How long has this been in development, Lindsay? When did you first start at this? I believe it was 2015 that the, um, the, the second half of it was written. So it started with the, the two girls. That was the bulk of, of the wow. play. So when was I the first half? I didn't, I didn't realize it was that long. I believe it was 2015. Yeah, because we are doing this coming on five years. Right. So it's been it's been an on and off process. I mean, you know, part of the trouble is when you when you're working other jobs and you you know this this can't be your your primary um, job during the day. You you have to piecemeal time together. And Joe and I would meet on a semi regular basis, I think. But yeah, I, the original piece I believe was 2015 in Brooklyn. The the gallery players. So it's been on and off. And we, we've been doing readings, you know, small table readings. And like Joe said, bringing, bringing new people in, new voices in and test, test driving these scenes and then going back and um, rewriting the, the rewriting process was the longest process <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Well, you're busy because you teach also, right? You're an adjunct professor at uh, LaGuardia. Yep, uh, John Jay. Yeah. John Jay. So, and Joe, you have a bunch of shows in development, um, and you you've been directing all along. So, you know, it's hard when you're developing. Pro- Talk about the development process when you're trying to write. You're trying to create this Squirrel Screams, but yet you have Whiskey Land or you have other shows and and teaching, like you said, real life getting in, involved. So, you know, our listeners may not understand that it can take six to eight years to even get a project to where you are right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it, it takes years. And it's funny because Lindsay and I had had this conversation early on mm-hmm. because, you know, it gets frustrating when you have something that you go, this is really good. This is, this is better than stuff that I'm seeing that is currently on stage on a theater that people are paying money for. So why is nobody just 
coming to my house, knocking <laughs> on my door and saying, here's a check. You know, why is that not happening? And it really is. It's about developing those relationships and knowing that you, you, a couple of things that I say, one is good work is never wasted. That there are people who are like, oh, this thing didn't go anywhere or this or that or whatever. If it's good work, it's not going to be wasted. And I can look at Lindsay as an example. She did really great work in a, in a, in a short play festival in Brooklyn that through a series of events led us to meet, led me to hire her for this other play, led us to collaborate on this piece, led us to meet all of these new actors who we had not worked with before mm-hmm. and created this community of new people that right. is a fertile, creative group of professionals, mm-hmm. you know? So it's good work is never wasted. So even if, even if you feel like you're toiling at something and it's not going anywhere, people are seeing it. People are hearing it. The energy of being creative mm-hmm puts that out there in the world. So then now you're a creative energy in the world. I know it's a little kind of <laughs> granola, but it's <laughs> no, it's it, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's works that you guys have worked on. I mean, I've worked on shows for years, finally get it to a certain point and realize the legs have run out on it or the time has passed for this certain project. And you've worked six or seven years on something. You're like, Oh no. You know, they beat me. There's a show up on Off Broadway that's exactly like this, or this is a show on Broadway that they beat me to the punch. You know, have you had those experiences with other development projects? Yeah, actually, was it there was a TV thing um, that I had written. It was a pilot, which was basically Scandal. The the show was Scandal, and it was it was after. a certain movie came out and it was sort of in the, it was in the zeitgeist. Everybody had this kind of fixer kind of thought going on. So we were just late to the party. Every, every studio had a scandal, like something in the pipeline when we hit the, when we hit the ground running with this. And so, yeah, it was just, we just missed it. Right. Just missed it. Lindsay, what about you? Any heart heartbreaks? Well, in a different sort of way, not in terms, I hope. And so I'm not going to say too much about this show because I still hope that it will it will take off. But um, the play that I had been working on when Joe and I met and when Joe said, when I learned he was also a collaborator, I said, would you ever be willing to read this piece? And that was the piece that initially, this piece, Torn Sweater, that had initially brought us together to collaborate. And... I mean, we we moved forward with that. We worked on that on and off for years. And then Squirrel Screams happened. And I thought, right, I got to press pause on this, not only because I think I've now been working on this play for nine, 10 years, and it's just not, it's not moving forward in the right way. And so taking that pause with Squirrel Screams and focusing my energy on that um, made me realize I don't know that the idea is wrong. I don't know that the that the the show is um, ready to be binned, but it needs to be burned and then started from scratch again. So unravel that sweater. <laughs> What's it? <yeah. laughs> unravel that sweater, knit it back together. That's that's it. That's exactly it. So yeah, and that's a, and that's a huge thing too. That uh, you know, as like like any relationship, our collaboration, 
we have to figure out the rules and how it all works. And when we met and started working on Torn Sweater, it was a new relationship. So there's there's no reason for her to trust me, you know? Um, and so you have to earn that trust in a collaboration like that. Mm-hmm. You, you both bring it to the table and somebody's somebody's going to somebody's going to win and somebody's not somebody's going to say you know what you're right yeah let's try it mm-hmm. and so it it took some time for that to happen and we got a lot of that done during squirrel screams because it would just it allowed us to not only do that kind of work we were then able to test our 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 theories because yeah. we would bring people in and have it have people read for us and understand, you know what, Lindsay, you were absolutely right. That, that doesn't work. Or every once in a while, Joe, you're right. (laughs) You know, um, are any of these guys based off of you, Joe? No, although I, I did get to, I did, I did get to throw in a few, you know, punchlines here and there that I'm like, here, I I offer this to you as a Joeism. Joeism. That's hilarious. Let's talk a little bit about the equity uh, reading. This is how you came to Malloy, Malloy College. Um, for our readers, we're looking at producing, where we are going to produce this play in July of 2020. We're going to launch it as a world premiere. Um, but let's let's talk about that reading and how it came to my my doorstep. Well, I mean, for those for those of you who don't know. Uh, when you want to do a professional reading of a play, you do what's called an equity 29-hour reading, where you're allowed to rehearse each individual actor up to 29 hours, including the length of the performance. So we did two presentations. The performance were three hours each plus half hour. So let's let's say that it was five hours for presentation. So that leaves us 24 hours over the course of a week to rehearse these actors, get them comfortable, get it staged, light staging, and get it ready to show people. Um, so when we were talking about what the next steps are, because once we, once we knew we had a product that we thought worked, you have to test it. You have to put it in front of an audience who is not necessarily your best friend and your mom. And, you know, you have to see if other people other than the people who love you love the play. Mm-hmm. So we had a couple options and one of them was to do an equity reading. So we decided to do that. And, um, a friend of mine who was our company manager for a view from the bridge when I did it on Broadway is now a general manager. He general manages whiskey land, which is another project that I have in development. And I said, you know what, can I take you to lunch and just pick your brain? So I took him to lunch cause I didn't necessarily want to be the person saying, hey, you want to come to my play? I know you have money. Come on. I wanted somebody else doing that who had the clout to say, look, this is a good play. You should come and see this. So we ended up hiring him to GM it. And then I started reaching out to all the different producers that I know, people that I've worked with before who've either produced work of mine, general managed work of mine, which in the case of you, Angelo, was you general managed um, – Broadway Broadway. varieties or erotic Broadway, the many iterations of that, the burlesque show at the, at the triad. So yeah, you were on my list because I always invite you to my stuff. And unfortunately you were unavailable and you're like, sorry, 
I'm like, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. I was in tech for another show, so. That's true. But one of the things that, again, it's important for people to hear this, to me, that wasn't a dead end. While you said, no, you weren't available, I, I responded back with, if there's anybody else that you want to send who you think might be interested in a piece like this, please, let's invite them. And that's when you said, oh, I'll send my general manager, Kathleen. Mm-hmm. And so, which was great for us because she is a perfect demographic for who this play is for, right. you know. And um, so, what's so the yeah. demographic? What's the demographic? So yeah. I, I think Lindsay. Well, I mean, I think it, it it's originally intended for uh, women in their late twenties, thirties, maybe even up to four women. It's it's intended for women. Uh, we've been surprised though by the response from. Men. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Like I'm sure. a buddy of mine, an actor, I've known him for many, many years. I'm not going to out him on this, but <laughs> he was like, this is great. This, he goes, whoever you want me to send the script to, I will send it. He goes, it's really, it's fantastic. I loved it. Yeah. And he's a, he's a dude, dude. He's mm. like a dude's dude. Mm. So it's yeah. not even like he's, yeah. Yeah. So, I think when guys are going to sit and watch this, they're going to go, oh, come on. They're probably being represented up there. And they're like, oh, I would never say that. Oh, that's not me. You know, oh, come on. But see, the guys are kind of. I think one of the best parts about that is as men, we tend to look at something that is us and go, yeah, that's not me. That's not me. They can laugh at it because they're like, oh, yeah, that's that's Angelo. That's not Joe. That's Angelo. Right. Right. They can immediately do that. And I'd be what? That's not me. Yeah. That's Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Uh, but but it's funny because my uh general manager Kathleen came back and you know, like I said, we were busy, I was in tech and everything. And uh you know, I was speaking with her and I was talking to her and I went, Hey, what'd you think of that? She didn't even mention it to me. So and I went, What'd you think of that play? And I was like, Lecter said, Yeah, it was okay, or you know, uh, you know. I, I had no idea what she was going to say. And she turned to me and she went, I loved it. I went, and you're just telling me this now? What are you doing? And I immediately got on the phone to you because I was like, what is going on? So talk to me about the, now that we've said that, talk to me about that experience of, of that of that showcase and, and, and the reactions. If you've got some great reactions, right? Besides me. Yeah, yeah, it was it was incredible. I was terrified. I was utterly terrified. I think I stood in the back of that room and wore through the carpet because, you know, having only presented it to friends and family before, that's a safe audience. You know that if they they know they have to laugh, <laughs> they have to laugh uh, to preserve a friendship. But these people, they didn't they didn't know me from Adam. They had, you know no stake in the game at all. So it was really an incredible experience to hear the reaction. We had a, a fairly sizable crowd the first time that we presented it and um, had a great response. And then a slightly smaller crowd the second time. And I thought, well, they're not going to laugh. It's it's just going to be the way the, the cookie crumbles. And lo and behold, they laughed, they laughed right along side the other audience so it was really it was really an incredible experience truly yeah. i think joe and i kind of both agree it, it went 
better than we expected, maybe. Yeah, it's it's always nice to. I mean, it is terrifying when you when you kick that baby bird out of the nest and mm. see if it can fly. It's 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 hard. Yeah. But what is so gratifying? Two things happen that for me as as a director and as a collaborator that sort of kind of fill me with joy are a when there's a moment that you know is going to land and mm-hmm. it does mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's such a a, a heartwarming complete feeling <laughs> when you when you when you create a moment that lands exactly the way you wanted it to. it's the same way as as an, as an actor when mm-hmm. you take just the right timing for that for that punchline in a scene and it lands and you get that rolling lap that starts at the front of the house and then just makes its way out. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that happened, which was happened more times than I thought it would, which was people laughing at things that were either just, yeah, no, that's good. Or didn't even know. Yeah. Like there was a line that got laughed both nights where I was like, I didn't even know that was mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. <laughs> and Wow. It's it's a big laugh. That's awesome. And that's as an actor, I love that. You know, you love when they laugh at a at a line that you didn't expect. You know, sometimes you get self conscious a little bit about it. You're like, what? What did I do? You know, that wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, it, it's it's really great. So we, I contacted you guys and I said I'm really excited. Uh, Kathleen loved it. Um, Once you come out and see the theater, because we have this beautiful state of the art Madison Theater. And uh, you came out and and you didn't want to use my theater. No, <laughs> we didn't. So tell so showed I showed you around around the campus and stuff. So talk to me about why you didn't want to use my beautiful, wonderful theater. Well, one of the things about this piece, it takes place in a bar. Um, it's a it's a unit set, so the whole play takes place in a bar over eleven days, eleven different days. And um, that while that theater of yours is is absolutely beautiful, mm. it doesn't quite convey the um, dive bar nature of mm. of kind of where this play lives and where these where these ladies tend to take their evening cocktails. I, I take um, that as a compliment. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> absolutely. There's there's not a lot of. Um, red velour in these in these ladies lives it's mm-hmm. it's more it's more unfinished wood and exactly that that vinyl tile yeah. wobbly um, tables and yes exactly so uh then you mentioned you had this other space which is more of a black box space and when i walk you, you sent pictures and i couldn't quite get the gist of it <clears throat> but when we walked in i was like yeah mm-hmm. this this will be great because we're, we're going to create a great little bar area. We're going to serve drinks. We're going to have a great time. Set it up so it looks like a bar when you walk into like a dive bar, which is it's actually fun for us to do because we're used to doing so much in proscenium theater that, you know, we get to create and just sort of do a, um, what's it called? You know, in space creation. What is that? Um, I can't think of the, the word, Joe. Yeah. Oh. specific or no 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 yeah, so, um well, you know like cats did when they did yeah. all in all encompass oh like an environmental kind environmental, of environmental right. there thank yes, you environmental yes. yeah. oh, that was a, that was a, that was a strain to get that one out no we're very excited by this but you know talk about that joe because you didn't 
weren't crazy about the theater. And even though I was really excited to do the play and I wanted to produce this and I wanted to mount it for you, you know, if the space wasn't right, you weren't necessarily going to go with me or, or let let me produce this. And talk about why why you wouldn't do that. Uh, well, I think there. Well, first of all, I want the play to be successful because yep. I think it's really funny. I think Lindsay wrote some really really funny, amazing, and also heartfelt. There's some really. I mean, we've been focusing on the comedy, but one of the comments that we get often, and I don't want to talk about how it happens because I don't want to give anything away, but there are moments where people are like. I was laughing and then all of a sudden I was feeling, you know, yeah. these kind of big emotions. Grabs so, your heart. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, first and foremost, I want the play to be successful, which if you put a play in the wrong space, it's mm -hmm. not going to work. Mm -hmm. Right. One of the things that I always said is I don't want people to be sitting in a theater looking up to a stage to see this because then you're aware of that. You're looking at a stage as opposed to just feeling like you're in a space mm -hmm. and you're, and you have a little bit of a, it's, it's, it can be voyeuristic at times. So the mm -hmm. idea being that if they're, if these women are in this bar having these dates and you're at a table, two tables away and you're watching them, just like if you were at a bar and a couple was having a fight and you're trying not to watch them, but you still look, yeah. it's that kind of voyeuristic um, connection that they would have to the piece. And that was, that's really important. And we actually spoke about when we did the reading, because normally when you do an equity reading, you rent a rehearsal space and you throw out some folding chairs and, you know, there's fluorescent lights and you, and you stand at music stands or whatever and, and do the play. Uh, a friend of mine who owns et cetera, et cetera, restaurant, uh, in New York City, which they're still delivering, by the way. So if you live in New York, <laughs> they have amazing food. And like every other business in New York right now is is struggling. They are delivering and it's amazing. Um, they have an upstairs space. And I said, can we use it? And he's like, absolutely. So rather than being in a cold rehearsal room, we happen to be upstairs in this restaurant. And, in the perfect environment. Yeah. And, and this is funny, too, because we had the actors sitting at two tables rather than in, you know, music stands or whatever, because they're sitting at tables in the play. So why not? So I found these two, like, raggedy old tables that they had in the back with, like, plywood tops. And the one of the managers of the restaurant says, oh, wait, let me get you tablecloths for those. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not where these people go. They don't go to places with tablecloths. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that the the choices that you make of how the play is going to be seen support what the play is and what the playwright's vision is for that piece. Mm -hmm. So while I would have said no to that big, beautiful theater, I would have not have said no to you being involved in helping us find another location. If you didn't happen to have right. this other theater, because I know, I know how good you, how good it, you are what you do. So, well, I, you, you know, the, the chance to get to work with you again is I jump at it. All right, great. So let me ask you uh, a question before I get into our final question for today. Are there going to be any changes to the script from, uh, from what we saw or what Kathleen saw at the reading? Minor. Minor. As we, there, we, I think we, we learned from the reading. I learned from the reading that there 
are moments that need to be just kind of polished or fine-tuned or um, places where I, I see a bump in kind of the forward motion of the play and just seeing if we, if I can, if I can address those before we get into the rehearsal process. Um, but knowing that kind of the nature of our relationship and the nature that, of the way we work, that oftentimes those things get worked out in the rehearsal room. And I expect that will be the case with this as well. So um, nothing drastic, I wouldn't say. Joe? No. <laughs> no, the other thing too is um, one of the things that we didn't have when we did this early reading is we didn't have the level of anonymity that a funny play like this requires with an audience because mm -hmm. it's light out. Everybody can see each other. Nobody's comfortable laughing at something that's either sexual in nature or maybe embarrassing in nature because they don't want to necessarily be the first one to laugh, but you put them in a, in a darkened theater mm -hmm. <clears throat> and people become less inhibited. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how things work in that environment. So I imagine there will be tweaks made to the script during the run of the show, what you know mm -hmm. would technically be a, a preview period where we would be able to adjust lines or maybe mm -hmm. a little bit of blocking or something once right. we see how things are landing actually on their feet. But yeah, it's it's not a lot of changes. Right. Well, one thing I do think you guys did well with this was you actually took those 11 vignettes or those 11 days and arced them well. You know, they don't just sort of flatten out and just same over. They really have sort of an arc, emotional arc um, to bring you full circle in the in the play. Did you guys like pull vignettes and say, oh, we need to put this one third. We need to put this one second and move this one to the 10th one. You know, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we, um, we, I don't know that we've ever really argued. I don't know that we've ever kind of really truly butted heads. I think in within the last few months, we've maybe had a couple of moments where both of us turn away and growl at the other person just momentarily. <laughs> and uh, the or the order the order of the play was maybe one of those I can remember having a conversation right before the reading and really debating back and forth about why this person is number one and no, I think it should be number three. Um, and I, I, I have to say, I think Joe won. I think Joe won <laughs> that, that debate, but okay. that was a long discussion uh, because how you, you know, what the, the first scene is, is that's your opportunity to hook your audience. And if you're not doing that right away, <laughs> you've lost them. Yeah. But that first scene, I mean, I don't want to give it too much away. But it sort of surprises you. You don't see where it's going right away, and 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 these these scenes aren't long. I mean, they're what two and a half, three minutes long, maybe four minutes long. Each of these vin these little scenes, and that that four minutes, it's you're completely surprised on where it ends up. You know what I mean? And you know it starts out. I mean, that's what's brilliant about it, and I I love that because you're surprised by all these little vignettes. You know. The other thing that's important about that first scene, too, not only hooking your audience, it also sets up the world. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you when you go into a, a show, you don't know what this particular world is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's that classic thing of um, funny thing happened on the way to the forum when it was out of town. It was bombing. Right. And they're like, we have no idea why it's not working. And I forget who it was who came to see it. Jerome said, Robbins. It was Jerome Robbins. Said they don't know. They don't know what they're seeing. You're mm -hmm. open. They, they don't know it's a comedy. Right. They think it's this serious piece 
And right. so they wrote Comedy Tonight as the opening, and that just changed the whole trajectory of something that possibly would have been a flop had they not fixed it. Yeah. And one change, and they didn't have to really change the rest of the show. No. So it also is important to set up the world that we know who that these guys are going to be wacky, yeah. and these women, <laughs> yeah, these w- women are going to handle it like every woman wishes they could. <laughs> oh, that's great! No, no but Rob, Robin's actually uh, did the same thing with Fiddle on the Roof. They couldn't figure out why, and he kept a- asking Sharnik. Uh, uh, and Bach, they were saying, what's it about? What's it about? And they said, you know, it's about it. And he goes, no, what's it about? What's it about? And they said, it's tradition. He goes, well, write me that song. And that's how, and that's made this uh, show land. You know, they couldn't get investors for that show. I mean, it was just crazy. So anyway, this has been great. I just got to ask you guys one last question before we take off. I mean, this hour is blown by. You guys are so interesting and so fun to talk with. Uh, but, you know, who is, you know, who in your life was that aha moment that this is this is why I want to I mean this business is not easy we all know that all three of us are sitting here and made careers out of this business and we you know why we ever chose the business every once in a while I just laugh at myself and say I can't believe I ever chose doing what I do because I but I love it but I had a aha moment that wow this is what I want to do I mean who was that or what show or person really made that um, land for you Lindsay do you have any, anyone I do um it's my aunt and uncle and they really? they they took me to the nutcracker as the story goes when I was three years old and my parents said, you know, she's three. You, you can't expect she's going to sit in the seat the whole time. That's a long show. That's not exactly geared towards a, a tiny child. And um, so they say that I, I sat on the edge of my seat the whole time with little ballet slippers on. And I wouldn't leave at intermission. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get out of my seat at intermission because I didn't want to miss anything. And I vaguely remember that. Um, but that was definitely that was definitely when it turned for me. Um, wow. and, and I was very fortunate to be exposed to theater from that point on. And I, I knew I just knew the minute I saw the curtain go up that that was it. That was this was what I wanted to do in, in whatever way I could. So well, this might this must might be a little crazy thing. But was that at Northrop Auditorium? Yes. What year was that? Because I probably was dancing in that nutcracker. <laughs> I was dan- I I danced with Minnesota Dance there from eighty two to eighty six, and I did those Nutcrackers. It would have been nineteen eighty four. Yeah, I was in that Nutcracker. <laughs> oh, isn't that That's wild? That is crazy. That is crazy. Wow. See, what a small world. Anyway, well, I'm glad you know the show had influence. That you. was it. That, that got us to wow. Squirrel from that Nutcracker to Squirrel Screams. <laughs> That's and incredible. Joe, so what about you? Wait, 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 well, Lindsay, do you have first? Dream well, how role? do you follow that? <laughs> wait, Lindsay, do you have a dream role, like something I, that you've always wanted to do? I do. Um, the role of uh, Nora in A Doll's House Part Two. Yeah, very nice. A That's new a great one. play. That's dream role. Yeah. Joe. Um. <laughs> That's, I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on the fact that you were dancing Nutcracker when she had her aha moment. Um, yeah, it's interesting. For me, I was always, I was a performing kid. Like, I used to get up and sing at weddings. 
when I was when I was like five years old, I would get up and sing with the band. And then you kind of go through that awkward, it's not cool to do this mm-hmm. phase. Well, at least I did. Um, and got made fun of it a lot for it. And I guess my aha moment, two of them. One was when I did my first play, which was in the ninth grade at John Adams Junior High School. And it was 45 minutes from Broadway, George M. Cohan. And I was like, this, this is amazing. Like, there are people like me out there in the world who like, like doing this. But I guess for the real aha moment was when I saw the original chorus line and sat in that theater. And when they, when they get to, you know, what I did for love and you just, you understood it, you understood these lives. And then when I finally got to do the play and got to be on stage for that, that was a whole other, took it to a whole nother level. So. And what, and what's your dream role? Um, I don't, it's, it's, it's funny. I don't really think about performing all that much. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I love, honestly, I love the directing and the writing. Um, but my, the dream role, my dream role I actually got to play, which was Jesus and Superstar. So that was... You, you played that? Yeah. You could sing like that? That's amazing. Yeah. I have a crazy high voice. That's crazy. Now that I get older, it gets lower and lower, but yeah. yeah. It's like Billy Joel. His, his songs keep... Every time he does a concert, they get down, go down yes. and down. lower, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Their show, The Squirrel Screams and Other Dating Sounds, uh, will be opening at the Hayes Theater at Mat- Malloy College, not the Madison, uh, but we will be selling tickets through the Madison. It'll be opening in July. Uh, we are thrilled um, to be launching this world premiere. Uh, we will see you there. And until then, we'll keep the seats warm for you. Goodbye. I want to thank producers Kathleen the Machine Marino, Eileen Swagger Sweeney, and the VP of Advancement Edward the Terrific Thompson. Technical support and editing by Calvin the Great Guevara Flores. Graphic designs by Francis Bouncing Bonnet and Sarah Prancing Palazzolo. 